The Consultative Engineer, Episode 16. Today is a very special day. Uh, Today is the United States Marine Corps' birthday, November 10th, 2017. Today marks 242 years since the birth of the Marine Corps. And I would like to wish all of my brother and sister Marines out there, past and present, home and deployed, a very happy birthday. Have fun, stay safe, and Semper Fi, Marines. Hey, Ziglets, welcome back for another episode of the Zigbits Network Design Podcast, where Zigabytes are faster than gigabytes. As always, we strive to provide real-world context around technology. I'm Michael Ziga, also known as Zig in this community, and I am your host. Hey, Ziglets, nerds, and geeks alike, welcome. It has been a couple weeks now, once again, and here we are. Today's episode is a special episode. It's going to wrap up what we've been doing the last two to three months. So it is titled The Consultative Engineer. But before we dive into all of the content and the meat and potatoes, as I've termed it, for these, these episodes, we want to go through some of the updates that have happened recently. So, and we have one big one really, and then uh, a kind of follow-up to that. I am closing a chapter in my life and starting a new chapter. It's definitely going to be a change, uh, a positive change, um, but when you close a chapter in your life, it's always bittersweet, and that, that is really what it is. So um, no more kind of sugarcoating it or beating around the bush. I am no longer working at a value-added reseller. I left the company I was working for this past week, and I start a new job next week. So I'm closing out the chapter at being on a a value-added reseller space, and um, I'm moving actually to the dark side. It's like I like to call it. So next week on Monday, I start working at a vendor, and the vendor is Cisco. So I've accepted a position in Cisco Advanced Services as a solutions integration architect. It is a position that I believe fits perfectly with what I've been talking about these last three three months or so about business outcomes, uh, business benefits, and then your business requirements, constraints, and drivers, and really mapping them and having a step-by-step kind of process to map them all the way up to those business outcomes and business benefits. And then having the technical expertise to be able to identify solutions that meet those requirements and being able to design and architect a solution for the customer that you're working with. And that, that solution could be one, three, five, ten years of a, of a long-term solution for that customer, depending on the scale and the size and the place in the network that solution is going to be. All of what I just said is really um, what I'm looking forward to in this new role as a, as a solutions integrations architect for um, a single customer. And I, I'm extremely excited. Cisco has been uh, one of the places that I've always wished that I could work for or work with or be a part of, you know, be in that circle or whatever you want to call it. This is finally a chance that I didn't think would ever happen. You make a choice when you decide to join a, a partner, a value-added reseller, because most vendors will not hire from a value-added reseller. There are different and certain circumstances that will allow you or to allow them to hire from a partner or a value-added reseller. 
I'm extremely excited for this change. It's a very different role than what I've in the VAR life that I've had recently, the last three years or so. It's a different role than I was in enterprise IT a few years before that. It, it is going to be some changes. Um, the role I'm going to have uh, to travel a lot, which is uh, uh, travel uh, 50% of the time and not local. So I'll be flying a lot, which will be very different for me than I've uh, traditionally been in. But uh, all in all, I think it's it's going to be a great opportunity. And I'm excited. I'm, I'm actually really ecstatic about it because, again, it's Cisco and, and get a chance to be a part of the vendor and see that part of this this uh, industry and h- how things work and be able to get a full picture and full perspective on everything. So I'm extremely excited about it. So with that said, once again, closing one chapter and starting a new chapter. But I have to reaffirm something before we get down that path and too far. And really, I just want to make sure that I at least vocalize this and articulate it, articulate it accordingly with everyone that I still want to maintain my promise to each and every one of you. Even if I work for a vendor, I'm still going to maintain this podcast. I'm still going to maintain my blog site and continue to blog and really give you some real-world outlooks on technology, uh, real-world experiences on technology. And that, that is a bucket, right? That is, a, a once again, a variable because it could be a design situation. It could be a troubleshooting situation. It could be a um, just going over some technologies. If you haven't seen recently, I started my Cisco ICE 2.3 blog series. So I am going to spotlight Cisco ICE for a little bit. But that doesn't mean I'm, I'm going to just do Cisco project, uh, products, Cisco-only products and solutions. There is a line that I can't that I will not venture over. But other than that, any vendor solution and any vendor technology is fair game to be able to discuss and talk and, and get the pros and cons to. But it's not a bashing. It's not, we're not, you know, there's no vendor bashing going on here, and that, that will never be the case. You know, we could easily do a blog series on Cisco ICE for the next two months and then, or three months, however long it takes. And then we could go over to ClearPass, Aruba ClearPass, and do a blog series on ClearPass. But that doesn't mean that we're bashing any of the vendors. We're, we're just giving you guys real-world experience with some of these technologies and, and real-world situations so that if you're in those situations, you have an idea of what to do and you're not blindsided um, by technology or a situation. So, um, you know, again, the goal of the entire podcast is to give you some real-world context around all things technology-related. I sincerely mean that and promise that to each and every one of you that we're going to maintain that moving forward, even though I'll be working for a, a vendor and obviously the, one of the biggest vendors that's out there, Cisco. But enough of that, right? So that, that's kind of wrapping that up. So today's meat and potatoes, today's title, today's content is all about, well, let me, let me take a step back first. Okay. So today's episode is really like either the last or close to the last we might have a couple more on this topic. We might have a couple more on maybe this podcast subseries, whatever you want to call it. But for the most part, as of right now, this is going to be the end of these topics, unless there's some changes, some revelations, uh, some thought processes that change, experiences, etc., that, that kind of make it maybe mandatory for, for us to come back to some of these episodes and re- redo them or or make some new ones that kind of call them out and and show the maybe the errors or show the positives for whatever reason. Today's episode is the consultative engineer. 
And that is a title that everything that we've been doing for the last two to three months falls into. Every episode that we've done for the most part has been about the consultative engineer. That is a, a role, a title, a perspective. Characteristics fall into that role. A number of things. Again, we've, we've been talking about this for some time, the two to three months for now. And it's just a different way of doing business. It's a different way of making relationships and building a productive environment. That is, that is what the consultative engineer is at a high level that we've been discussing and walking through the last two months. With the consultative engineer, there are a number of terminologies that I want to go over, a number of other maybe roles that people throw out there. So, you know, we talked about some of these roles here and there the last couple couple months. Um, and I know I've mentioned some of them and I, I may not have mentioned all of them, but I think I mentioned some of them at some point. So we're going to get into these these roles pretty uh, pretty long-headed here because, long-winded, not headed, long-winded here because these roles are extremely important in, in this uh, consultative engineering model. It's extremely evident once you start getting all these together, the benefits that you're going to get um, personally, professionally, and within your own, your own organization, if you follow these models. And that, that's kind of where I'm trying to go from, from all these podcasts and this content. I hope it can be obvious from the series, but just in case, what is a consultative engineer? And then who is a consultative engineer? And those are the questions that we're going to be asking and answering throughout this episode. The first terminology that we're going to jump into, and I'll just list them the three off and, and we'll jump into the first one. So the first one's a trusted advisor. The second's an influencer, and the last is thought leader. Now, this is not in specific order. These are all, in my opinion, equal um, roles and characteristics. So at a high level, let's, let's go over a trusted advisor and kind of what that is, uh, who it is, and, and then we'll dive deeper into some of the caveats around it. So a trusted advisor, in my opinion, in my view, um, a person... A trusted advisor. A trusted advisor is a person that cares about the customer more than themselves, and I feel like that is probably one of the single most important sentences that you can hear and acknowledge. That a trusted advisor puts their customer first. It's a person that puts themselves in their customer's shoes every time they talk, every time there's a meeting conversation at night. I mean, you're thinking about the customers that you're working with and you're, you're putting yourself in their shoes and the situations that they have. And, and then you're understanding what they're going through so that you can properly build a solution that meets those needs. You care about that. Now, on, on the flip side, the person that's in this, this role or this, this title, trusted advisor, cares about the customer more than the bonus or the commission that they might or might not be making on this deal. It's not about the product sale. It's not about ulterior motives. That, that's not the case here. This, this role is a person that cares about the relationships with their customers and has a reputation of meeting their needs at every step of the way. So a trusted advisor really makes the relationships with their customers. And as always, customers is a variable. 
Customers can be your own customers in your organization. It doesn't have to be another company at all. It could be a department. It could be a person. Um, so keep that in mind. So in this this perspective, um, this is a person that cares about the relationships um, that they are making with their customers. And this person has a reputation of meeting their customers' needs every step of the way. And those are huge takeaways to keep in mind. A trusted advisor also has the ability to communicate in the divide between the business side of the house and the technical side of the house. As traditional network engineers, we really don't talk about business items all that often, historically. And then the business side of the house, they don't talk about the network side all that often, historically. So in this role, as a trusted advisor, you can bridge those, that gap. You bridge that divide because you can talk the business talk. You know the terminology. You know the lingo. But then you also can talk the technical side of the house because you are a technical expert. You understand the technology. Being able to bridge the divide, being able to bridge that gap, it's one of the key aspects of any role. In addition, this is a, a person that listens to the customer's issues and creates a solution that clearly identifies how it resolves the problem at hand and, and fairly quickly. This is uh, someone that can, maybe, maybe for an example, can go on site with the customer, have a conversation without knowing or what you're going to discuss with that customer, and then being able to whiteboard possible solutions and possible pros and cons to each of those solutions, and then kind of guide the customer down a path that is appropriate for them and their, their business requirements, constraints, and drivers, and then eventually their business outcomes and expectations that they're looking for. That is what this trusted advisor role should be able to do. Go into a meeting. It might be a two-hour meeting. Listen, write notes, correlate those notes, and, and really think about the other items, the historical information you have for that customer since you build that relationship up. And then you can make proper design decisions from there and proper solutions from that point forward. This role for that person does the right thing for the customer. And then the last thing that I have for a trusted advisor in my notes was this person takes ownership of the customer, not just the problem. So that, that's trusted advisor. So now we're going to move on to the next uh, uh, term that I want to make sure we all understand um, is an influencer. An influencer is a person that has established credibility in their industry and has the ability to affect or change the way other people behave. A good example is someone that has established credibility. So someone that maybe has written a book, uh, runs an organization, is active on a blog or a podcast, maybe does some community roundtables. There's a number of fairly new podcasts out there that have some great content and great guests on those podcasts. Those are some great opportunities for influencers to shine and to be able to, to establish some credibility in the industry and then affect some change in our industry. You know, a lot of us joke about uh, stretching layer two in any situation, be it from rack to rack or from uh, room to room, building to building, city to city. We're stretching layer two for whatever reason. We want to make some changes. So being an influencer can, can make some of those changes. And it's a key trait to have in the consultative engineer, have that the ability to influence change in your customers' environments, in your own environments, and then also in the community as a whole. So the final term is a uh, thought leader. 
it's an expert in their chosen field that people go to for their opinion, advice, mentorship, you name it. It's you're not just an expert, right? You're an expert, but people know who you are and they have the ability to reach out to you because they know that your opinion matters, your advice matters to them, and even being a mentor for them matters. Huge aspect of a, a thought leader is someone that's a trusted person that can inspire others to do something or to change something or to take an action on some specific use case or some specific event. That's a great example. A thought leader has the ability to push the envelope and set new goals for their field. So the key item here is that obviously they're an expert. Obviously, the community knows they're an expert and trusts their opinion and their advice. But now this person, this, this characteristic, this role has the, the ability to question what we've done for years, question what this field has done and how it's done what it's done. Um, and that's redundant, but this this position, this characteristic, this role, whatever you want to call it, has that ability to challenge the outcomes or the processes or the way we've done things for years and maybe set new goals, processes, outcomes, et cetera, because of their their position in this industry. This is a person that's highly successful, but also has the ability to show or to replicate to others how to be successful as well. One comment to make here on the thought leader, though, this isn't something that's just going to happen overnight. It's not something that you're going to wake up the next day. Oh, yep, I'm good. Or maybe you know it's four o'clock on a on a Monday and four p.m. on a Monday, and you're thinking about being a coming a thought leader. And then come Tuesday morning at nine a.m., you're like, yep, I'm a thought leader. No, it's it's not like that. This isn't something that's going to happen overnight. It, it is going to take time, and in most cases, it's going to take many years. You have to become an expert in the field and people have to trust your thoughts, your opinions. People understand that who you are and your position in the field, and that is why they're asking for your opinion, your advice, and mentorship. So the, a, a thought leader needs to have the right mindset, level of commitment, and overall willingness to challenge the historical processes that we've followed for decades. So this goes back to the, the concept that I mentioned earlier that a thought leader has the ability and should be able to and should do this uh, is to challenge um, how we've been doing things all the time. This is someone that is above the status quo, above what we've done for years. This is someone that theoretically could rewrite how we do things because their advance, their ability to understand the technology, understand the processes, understand what we need to do today, but also what we need to do one, three, five, and 10 years from now. Everything is changing. And this is that that role that um, should be looking forward and seeing that change, but then also um, having us change as well. And those are the three terms. And, uh, you know, we just went over them. Um, They're They're relatively pretty big terms, roles, in my opinion, that a person can fill. You know, a lot of people, I think, in this industry and even in a ton of other industries throw these terms around. They mean very little or nothing at all to these people, maybe, Um, that they, you know, maybe they're missing the actual definitions. Maybe they're missing the actual point. But maybe it means more in our field. And that, that's kind of something that I'm taking away too is, you know, maybe for us in this field and, you know, network community and the IT community, you know, these terminologies might mean more, and f- more for us than it does in some of the other fields that are out there. So, yeah, again, these are the most important 
roles, in my opinion, that, that you can ever fill. The follow-on step to that, the follow-on comment to that is that to be a true consultative engineer, you need to have all three of these roles. I'll let that sink in for a minute because that, that's probably something that's going to be hard to do. For you to be a true consultative engineer, you need to have all three of these roles. You need to be a trusted advisor. You need to be an influencer. You need to be a thought leader. And I know that's hard to comprehend, and I know that's hard to, to agree with at times as well. But if you can imagine being all three of those roles, how easy would it be for you to actually be a consultative engineer? Everything we've been talking about for the last two, three months, I think that sounds a lot easier now after going through these podcast episodes that we've had and, and listening in on all this content. If I had come to an understanding of what I wanted to call this from the beginning, this might have been a lot clearer. But this is something that has been building upon each episode and really building and how I want to uh, articulate it and what I want to call it. Because honestly, I wasn't sure what to call it on episode one or whenever uh, the first episode was um, for this kind of content. I can't remember. It might have been episode nine or 10. I think it was 10 or 11. One of those, maybe 11. The consultative engineer title came out recently because that is what it is. That's what we've been talking about. That is the easiest way to depict everything we've been talking about. And these these roles, these characteristics or terms, uh, trusted advisor, influencer, and thought leader are all things that fill into that consultative engineer. And again, you need all three of these roles to be a consultative engineer. That doesn't mean you need all three for each customer you're working with. You're not going to probably have all three for every customer you're working with. And that's, you're going to have to identify that. You, as the consultative engineer, you're going to have to identify that, hey, I might be an influencer, but I'm not a trusted advisor. You know, you can't have one of these and not the others to be fully effective in these accounts, in these uh, customers, and in these uh, business departments that you're working with. You really need to have all three of these. Because you're building a relationship, you're building a, a trust that that trust is going to assist you with meeting the business outcomes and business goals and business ex, uh, expectations that your organization has and your customers have. Now I'm going to flip this around now. So that's the definitions. That's what a consultative engineer is, right? So what is a consultative engineer? Well, that is what it is. Now to the next question: Who is a consultative engineer, and how do we identify that, or how do we show that, right? So. We're going to move on to a section that I was kind of writing up in my, my brainstorming notes here that um, we're going to take a look at, and I can't think of a better word to say this. So I'm going to say verticals, but I can't think of a better word to call this. So if someone else has a better word, I would appreciate, um, just send me a quick note, email, feedback at zigbits.tech. You can find us on Twitter at zigbits or uh, on LinkedIn at zigbits as well. But yes, please, because... I've been brainstorming this for uh, for a few weeks now, and the best I could come up was verticals. And I don't think that's appropriate, but I think it's the closest thing that, that makes sense. So let's take a look at the different verticals that a that the consultative engineer plays in, how you can utilize utilize everything we've been talking about and all these podcast episodes and every episode in these different verticals. Okay, so there's three kind of categories or verticals. I guess categories might be a better word. Enterprise IT, uh, service writer, uh, and then uh, most of the corporate world today at a high level. If you work in enterprise IT, these relationships and this environment is with your 
other departments. And I mentioned that a couple times now. It's with your other part departments and your uh, business stakeholders within the organization you work in. You are building a reputation within your organization that is everlasting for that organization. Your, your reputation is going to be more than anything else. Your number one goal is to maintain that relationship with your, your customers. And in this case, it's going to be your, your business stakeholders or your um, business leaders in the different departments that you have. Now, you are usually, or in most cases, going to be like a senior network engineer or maybe you're a network architect for the organization. Um, you're in a senior role because you're, you're an experienced engineer. Um, you have some, some expert level certifications of some sort. Uh, maybe not a CCIE for Cisco. Maybe you have a CCNP or multiple CCNPs. Or maybe you're a Juniper guy and you're running, you know, uh, JNCIEs left and right. And uh, that's what you're running with. So you don't even need the certification. That was just an example. You can still be an expert and not have those certifications. But you're an expert for your field and what you work with. You should be peering with the different department leaderships to help drive the business outcomes and the business expectations. So again, everything we've been talking about, um, you are a highly technical engineer. Um, and if, you, if or when needed, you can do the technical work yourself, but you have the ability, you have the, the business aptitude to understand the constraints, drivers, and requirements that the business has. Um, now, again, this is in each case, right? So it could be maybe you have um, something coming from HR, and you're you're teaming up with the, um, the business stakeholder in HR to you know come to whatever business outcome that you're looking for, and now you're able to have that that discussion and that understanding of what the constraints, drivers, and requirements are for that that request from HR. And again, this is just a quick example that we're just you know diving in. So you have that ability. Here, here's the key thing. You have that ability, but you also have the ability to be technical and highly technical, right? So you have both. You have the business aptitude and you have the technical ability. So now you are able to have the two different perspectives and those two different perspectives allow you to bridge the gap between the two different divides. And I've been saying that a couple of times today. So the two different divides, like the business side and the technical side. And that is key. Because that, that role kind of doesn't really exist today in our field. And if we fill that role, we can, um, it makes sense for us to fill that role as I'm getting into all this. And um, if you fill that role, you're going to notice that you're going to catch a lot of things before they come your way. You're going to build these relationships and these relationships are going to help you out throughout day-to-day activities. I mean, this is going to be a, a totally different perspective for you on a day-to-day working environment in your organization. If this is making sense to you, and you're enjoying this, these episodes and this content, and you know this is hitting home, then give it a try. That, that's what I would say. It's just kind of give it a try. This is what the consultative engineer is in this space. That's the enterprise IT, the service providers of the world, um, and then most of the corporate world today. So we're going to move into the next uh, vertical or category, uh, value-added reseller. So that is you know, what I've traditionally been at for the last three years uh, at a value-added reseller, and we do call that a VAR. If you work for a partner uh, or a, uh, a value-added reseller, um, these same steps that we've talking about of making a relationship, uh, building a productive environment, um, and you're honestly just doing business a different way, and I would say a consultative way. That's what being a consultative engineer is all about. This is not someone that's a, a pre-sales resource. Conversely, this is not um, someone that is stuck in a closet somewhere, banging at the keyboard, project at the project, uh, you know, also known as a post-sales resource. 
this is a role, let's say, that is at a at a var that is between pre-sales and post-sales. It is not one or the other. It actually is both, in my opinion. It is both pre-sales and post-sales, but then it even has a number of other steps to go forward. Forward, maybe another a few other roles. So. A few other things to, to at least call out, you know. So again, um, your pre-sales and post-sales, you're not one or the other. Um, you care about the customers you deal with, and you care about their requirements, constraints, and drivers. Um, you care about their business outcomes, uh, business needs, and the business expectations. Um, you are putting yourself in your customer's shoes every day. Every meeting and every conversation. So again, that that's what we've been talking about, right? So you are you're putting them first. You're, you're at least showing them that that respect, and and that's part of the relationship is that you're you're putting them first. So you're thinking as them, and that that will take some time. That'll take some time for you to understand their environment, to build those relationships with the key, uh, you know, technical resources in their environment. Um, you know, maybe it's that the network architect or the senior network engineer. Maybe they have a team. And there's been cases where um, some of the customers I've gone to, they have you know six or seven people on their team, and they're all senior network engineers. You know, and and you're you're building relationships with every single one of them. You know, and you don't leave anyone out. You build a relationship with each and every one of them. You build a professional relationship or personal relationship, and you just don't stop. You just keep going because uh, that's just gonna enforce that 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 consultative engineer model even more. It's that that trusted advisor, that influencer, and that thought leader. All those things are gonna come right together because um, you know you're gonna be helping them out. They're gonna be helping you out. It's gonna be a great relationship. So once again, um, you're putting yourself in your customer shoes every day. Uh, you have the technical expertise, right, to get the job done um, if needed, but the strategic foresight to know uh, what you should be focusing on, right? So um, you could do the technical work. So an example I always give is you could go plug that cable in, right? You could spend all day um, plugging cables in. I mean, that that's not above anyone, in my opinion. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, um, 20 years, 30 years in the field, in this industry. And, um, and you're, you know, I mean, there's eight times CCIA, CCE and CCAR, whatever. If you're Cisco heavy, right? Like I am. Um, it doesn't mean that you're above plugging cables in. It doesn't mean you're above, you know, crimping cables. Um, but is that the right job for you to do? Is there something else that you should be doing? That doesn't mean you couldn't do that in my opinion. Um, but is there something else that you should be doing from a strategic, a strategic perspective? And that's what we're talking about here is the consultative engineer model is, uh, that role is someone that has the ability to do the technical work, the technical expertise, um, jump into it, knock it out, right? Um, if needed on the fly, but then someone that has the ability to have the strategic planning, right? To know that, Hey, I need to do this stuff for this customer, you know, whatever it is. I need to do a design document. I need to do an architecture. I need to research the technology because I don't, you know, we're not going to know everything in the world. So, you know, maybe I need to go research something about MPLS, uh, layer two VPNs, because I just don't remember. um, And I need to test it out. So I, you know, research it and I lab it out. And then from there, you know, maybe that's to help out that same customer um, for a design for their service provider network. 
you get the idea, I think. So, um, but you have the expertise, but you have that foresight to know when to, you know, be the person on the ground doing the cabling or the, you know, the rack and stack or whatever, and then being that strategic foresight and really helping um, long term with the customer. Uh, you are so familiar with technology and the customer's business that you can compare the different design elements, and with comparing those design elements, you can properly articulate why design is valid or invalid every step of the way. And that is a key point here, right? So that's what a consultative engineer is going to be able to do. Once again, I'm going to emphasize this last point. You are not driving towards a bonus or to meet a quota or metric. A lot of times um, that is the case. You're driving towards a bonus or to meet a quota or a metric or commission, um, a consultative engineer could care less. That is not the point of any of this. If you're being a consultative engineer, these these things that we're talking about in terms of like money, bonus, commission, and then quota or metric, they're gonna flow accordingly. They're gonna happen automatically if you're being a consultative engineer. They're just gonna happen. So there's no focus on that. Now, sometimes engineers focus on the, the money aspect and not the actual customers. And that's where you get that disconnect where, um, you know, you're selling a product and not services or you're selling services in a product or you're rushing to do a services en- engagement so you can do the next one. And you're not really caring about the customer. You're not really um, giving them uh, the value that they need. Enough of my tangent on value-added reseller. We're going to move into the vendor or the what I've been calling uh, the dark side recently. So this is the last vertical category, whatever you want to call it, that we're going to discuss and the, the perspective from this category. On the vendor side, you traditionally have less flexibility when it comes to venturing away from a vendor solution. On the VAR side, you can always position something as a vendor agnostic approach. You can say, I could care less about what solution we do. Let's, let's really... Get ready. Get to your design um, requirements, constraints, and drivers right at the high level, and we'll let that choose what the better solution is. What is the right vendor solution that fits that model? Whatever that could be. Um, but if you, when you work from a vendor, right? So, and I will be starting, right? So, when you work from a, a vendor and you're trying to sell something or you're trying to design something, it's traditionally a lot less flexible to pitch something that's not that vendor solution, right? So. Examples, customer A needs a switch, and so you quote out uh, that vendor switch. If it's Cisco, Juniper, HP, Dell, whatever vendor switch, right? Um, Customer B needs a five-year plan, whatever that might be, a five-year network design solution or something like that. So you quote out a five-year plan with the vendor solutions, right? Because you work for that vendor, and that makes sense, and you're probably comped on that as well, right, in some fashion. So it makes you look good, whatever. Um, and there's also you work for that company. So that also makes some sense. So the, the problem with this, though, in some cases, when we quote out something and we, we sell something that is a, like a five-year plan solution, the customer doesn't need everything you've quoted out, right? So that, that sometimes happens because sometimes are bundled, some things are bundled together. Some things are included because they have no choice. They have to include them. And maybe something could have been a little cheaper. Uh, but, you know, in some cases... I've actually seen this more often than not, and that's why I bring it up. Um, A customer doesn't need everything that's quoted out to them or even half of it or even two-thirds of it. Um, And my opinion is you must maintain your customer's trust every step of the way. And doing something like this where you're quoting something out that they don't really need two-thirds of it is not the way to do it. The second you meet them from that point forward, you know, you're building that trust and you're maintaining that trust every step of the way. That's your your relationship. 
everything else is just going to flow. You know, the technical information, yeah, obviously be honest with your customers too, is what I say. Be honest with them. If you don't know something, don't say you know it. In most cases, uh, you are usually going to be some sort of systems and en- systems engineer or like a sales engineer uh, when you work for a vendor. But you're more likely, in my opinion, to be found in a lab somewhere, you know, testing a solution, building out something before it even comes up in a customer conversation. At least from my perspective, if I was in a systems engineer role and I had an idea for a solution for a customer, I would want to test it out first. I'd like to make sure that it's going to work. Um, and I'd like to be able to talk about it too. And, you know, something as simple as MPLS, you know, um, and being able to talk about the label swaps and the VPN label and the data label and how that all works. Uh, the what label goes where and, and being able to trace that, um, something like that. And that's, I would say that's kind of simple. MPLS, if MPLS isn't simple, let me know and we can do a blog post on MPLS and we can go through all that in a lab and all that. But for the most part, uh, I'm not talking about complex MPLS stuff. I'm talking about just basic, you know, L3 VPN, MPLS with label switching. Um, and, it, you know, just to be able to talk to it with a customer and understand what's going on from a technical perspective, that that's extremely important. So in the lab testing, right? So in some cases, um, and this is something that, that could be iffy, right? You might even tell your customer that the vendor you work for doesn't have a proper solution, right? So now that would build that trust with that vent, that that customer and that would limit your trust with your employer, right? So there is some, some fallback that could happen from that. My opinion is that you're building a relationship with that, that customer. Um, and... And if you do go down that route and you say, hey, we, we just don't have something for you here today, um, don't just leave it like that. You know, Don't leave them empty-handed. Help them identify what the right solution is, whatever vendor it is. You know, Because that, that's going to maintain that relationship. Um, you're going to give them a lead, an idea, uh, and, and maybe even a contact. And that's going to maintain your relationship um, and your role with that customer moving forward or any of those customers uh, moving forward. So those are the kind of the things that, that go into the vendor side of the house for this, for a consultative engineer. Again, these are on my on the fly summaries of what you know. I wrote some notes, but these are really on the fly uh, summaries of what a consultative engineer is in each of these situations, verticals, uh, categories, whatever you want to call them. Uh, and this is also not a full inclusive list of characteristics or examples of what a consultative engineer is in each case. Um, these examples are more of are more for you to get an understanding of the differences. Um, you know, a lot goes into this. This is all new and it will continue to evolve as time progresses. This is not something that is going to um, go away, but it might evolve um, and it might uh, evolve into something different or it might just grow as it is. So keep keep all that in mind and uh, I hope this this resonates with you. I hope this all makes sense. Hey, Ziglets, that's going to close out this episode of the Zigbits Network Design Podcast on the Consultative Engineer. Thanks for listening. Be sure to visit zigbits.tech to join the conversation and access the show notes. Today's show notes will be located at zigbits.tech slash 16. If you liked today's episode, if it inspired you, resonated something within you, or provided a level of real-world context, let us know. You can find us on Twitter and LinkedIn by searching for Zigbits. You can also send us an email to feedback at zigbits.tech. Don't forget to join us in two weeks for another episode where we will continue to provide you with real-world context around technology. 
Bye for now.